Well, you've done it. Uh, congratulations. You made it. You didn't know you were doing this, but this is the last episode of uh, Deconverting. Maybe this is your first episode that you've been for, but this is still the last episode. Uh, you almost missed it, but don't worry. Uh, you still get some of it. So congratulations to you if you've been here for all six episodes. That's hard work. Congratulations to you if you have missed some of them live, but you decided that you would go back uh, onto, on, uh, onto Atua, Intuan.ca to listen to the podcast so that you didn't get left behind. Congratulations to you if you have uh, not been here for any of the episodes. Uh, you can still go back and you can listen to what has already happened. They're going to be at Intuan.ca under messages in our message archive. They're going to be there forever-ish. Uh, and I just need to explain again so that we're clear on what we've been trying to do. So these episodes were designed to be built upon each other. That means that today's episode is based on the other five. Not in a way that you won't understand what's happening today, but more in a way that makes today feel like a culmination. We're getting to this point because of all those ones, and it just has that, uh, that effect if you've got a couple more of them under your belt. So uh, you can follow along into one.ca. We have a page called Latest message notes, and you can follow along there, or maybe you got the handout when you came in. The point of this series was to help people, to, to welcome them back, um, some folks who, who, who perhaps have walked away from Christianity unnecessarily. I want to I welcome you back to the, uh, the faith of your childhood, but not your childish faith. I want to I welcome you into the grown-up, adult-strength version of Christian faith, and I'm inviting you to uh, begin your adult faith journey, not just your kids' one. We want, to join, we want you to join with us at Into One on what we describe as our road trip in earnest pursuit of Jesus. As we do that, we find hope and freedom in the love of Christ, and we want that for you also. And now you might say, well, frankly, I don't really like organized religion. And let me tell you, I have heard that before. Let me just mention to you... Uh, from the position of a, of a professional in the organized religion field. You might not like organized religion, and there have been many times in my life that I would wholeheartedly agree with you. But it is an awful lot better than disorganized religion, which is way worse. And so I, today I can't speak for all churches, but I can, I'm going to speak for this one. We have worked hard to welcome people here, no matter where they are on the faith journey. You are welcome to belong here before you believe here. We, we want you to be part. None of us have all the answers, okay? So I know that sometimes you feel that's the way it sounds, but we are interested in your perspective as part of the discussion that moves us forward. So I'm inviting you here. I'm inviting you to come back. None of us have all of this stuff figured out, but we are learning together. So please don't deny something that is undeniable for something that is currently to you unexplainable. Please don't throw out everything because of something that threw you off earlier in your life. We want to invite you back. This series has also been um, designed for those who haven't walked away, but to gain insight into the larger truth of our faith. You don't need to be intimidated. 
You can have confidence in your faith, even if it's not always popular. Even though you might hear criticisms, you, even though you might hear people saying you should disregard your faith, your faith is, is outdated. We've, we've grown up since then. Um, hey, it's 2019. Nobody believes in that stuff anymore. No, no, nothing like that holds water. If you've heard any of those or something similar, those kind of comments, I want to say to you, don't give up. Christianity is not fragile. Christianity is not for those with a subpar IQ. So as we land the plane and we wrap up this whole thing that we've been calling deconverting, today I want to try to ask you to do something extra hard. And you will want to deflect. I can pretty much guarantee that. And that's why I'm giving you the heads up that you will make a choice. As we get started today, I want you to listen, please, and be honest with yourself. No, no one else knows what you're thinking, okay? So be honest with yourself. And this is hard. It's hard for me too. I know that it is. When I do this, I have to admit to things that I don't want to admit to. Um, I, I have to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. And I'm probably going to have to humble myself in some way. But here's what we know as we get deeper into this whole adulting thing. Self-deception always takes us in a bad direction. If you are not honest with yourself, you will not be able to get to where you want to be. You will not be able to get to where you need to be. If you are not honest with yourself, you are stuck. And you know this. You know this because you have watched people. You've watched them for your whole life. You know that your life would have been different if your mom had decided to be honest with herself when you were a kid. You know that things would have been different if your dad had ever been able to look at himself clearly in a mirror and be honest with himself. Someone you know has made excuses, and they refused to take responsibility. So today, that is why I'm encouraging you to please be completely honest with yourself. Again, no one has to know what's going on inside your head. This is not about you today. This is not about uh, somebody else, what, what they would have, could have, should have done. This is about you. This is... Uh, um, how, why, stepping away from God? What was going on there? And that's the big question that we've been looking at in this series. So I, uh, to tell you uh, what we're going to do, I uh, have a couple of quotes that I wanted to share with you to get you thinking. And so the first one is from a guy named Thomas Nagel. He's a, he's a professor at New York University where he teaches philosophy and law. And he wrote a book called Mind and Cosmos. Maybe not the book that you were most looking to read, but it's a fairly innocuous sounding title. But when you get to the subtitle, there's just a little bit more fire in that one. Hold on here. This is hard to get. Why the materialist neo-Darwinian conception of nature is almost certainly false. Catchy, right? Not pulling any punches there. Thomas Nagel is an atheist. And in his book, he argues, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, that in the atheist community or in parts of the scientific community, they have done the same thing as they accuse religious people of doing. They accuse religious people of having a God of the gaps. And a God of the gaps is anytime you can't explain anything, you just say, God did it, right? And so Thomas Nagel says that the scientific community does the same thing. 
that we, we he would say, we have gone, and, and we say, natural selection did it, right? And he goes on to say, natural selection does not explain, cannot explain some undeniable phenomena. In his book, he goes on to specifically talk about the issue of values. How in the world did natural selection give us values? Fascinating book. But the reason that I bring up Thomas Nagel is, is, isn't because of that book. It's because of a book that he wrote earlier. And I mentioned this one because uh, Thomas Nagel, an atheist, makes uh, a rather profound declaration that ties in really well with what I just challenged you with. His honesty, his, uh, his confession is, is so pleasantly astonishing. It's, it's, it's like a surprise, a breath of fresh air. And maybe for you listening today, either live or listening later on, you will find this honesty liberating. And it may reflect something that you have never been willing to admit to yourself. So remember today, the challenge is to be honest with yourself. His honesty might give you permission to be honest and to explore at a level that you've never been to before. Here it comes. This is what he wrote in his book called The Last Word. I want atheism to be true. This is not just a conclusion that I came to based on the data. I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It bothers me that there are thinking people, people out there who are believers, because I want atheism to be true. And it isn't just because I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. That's a lot of honesty. I just got to respect a person who is willing to be that honest with something that we normally keep hidden up. Now, for some of you, that might be uh, something that's hiding away up in your own brain space. You are smart enough to know that if you acknowledge this, then you crack the door open. And that's disconcerting. You know that there's a big difference between I don't believe it and I don't want to believe it. I don't believe it is, uh, I used to believe, and then something happened. You know, I, I woke up one day and then I realized I just don't believe it anymore. Or uh, I used to believe and then I went to school and uh, they, they told me lots of things. I learned stuff there and I didn't know about that. And, and when I finally got out of my little family religious bubble, I was able to think on my own. I was able to see things in another way. And then I realized that I just didn't believe anymore. It was gone. I don't want to believe is entirely different. This has to do with will. I don't want to believe has to do with, I don't want to believe because there's a reason, right? Two very different things. Now, um, when you lose faith, what happened to you? How, how did that come about? Is it because of something you read? Is it because of something that happened to you? Is it because of something you watched? Is it, is it because of a circumstance that was overwhelming? What caused you to lose faith? What, what, what made you step back? Did it just seem like the information wasn't there? You had a question that couldn't be answered. Is that why you stepped away? Or did you decide to stop believing 
because faith got to be inconvenient. And then after you stop believing, you realize that to stop believing, well, that's not an argument, right? So now you need to go and develop support for your own belief. And if I might be very blunt, this is by no means anyone, not at all, but I have met a large number of people who have lost faith in God because they wanted to do what they want, with whom they want, when they want to do it. So did your decision to stop believing precede the data that you collected to support your unbelief? If this is just a matter of information, well then let me assure you, there are, there are plenty of resources. There, there's a waterfall of resources that are out there that will help you work through kind of all kinds of different complications. There are phenomenal resources available. If you just need help answering questions, well, if that's all that there is, well, you can get that with a really simple search. If you are open to the existence of God, you can seek answers. You will find answers. But here's the tough one. And here's where I want you to be honest again with yourself. If your departure from faith was around will or want, if your departure from faith was around, I just don't want it to be true, I don't want to feel like I have to do something that I don't want to do, if that's your story, well, then information will never satisfy you. That's why when you argue with people, their arguments just bounce off. You don't even think about them. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century mathematician, uh, physicist, philosopher, and really, really smart guy. He was homeschooled. Uh, he was a child prodigy, and he died at about 39. He saw things in life that, that very few people are able to see. He, see, he saw with such clarity, and, and he made some profound statements. This is one of them. People almost invariably arrive at their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. Come on, are we not all guilty of this? Is this not the way we decide things all the time? And you go, of course we do. And here's why. There are very few of us, maybe none of us, honestly, that are on a truth quest. We don't wake up in the morning announcing to the world, today I shall seek truth in all things. We're not on a truth quest. We are on a happiness quest. I want to be happy. So give me a worldview Give me a system of values. Give me a way of thinking that makes me happy. And if that worldview and if that set of values doesn't make me happy anymore, well then, I'm all about changing my worldview and changing my values. It, it, it might be nice to know what the truth is. I, I, mean, I wouldn't mind knowing, right? But I'm not on a truth quest. At the end of the day, I just want to be happy. Why won't you let me just be happy? So St. Augustine, he said this, we love the truth when it enlightens us. We hate the truth when it convicts us. And he might be smart, famous, and ancient, but we already know all of this ourselves. He, we, we, we just didn't get quoted saying it, but you know this. You think about in time when you were arguing with your parents, and for some of you, arguing with your parents might be a long, long time ago. For some of you, it might be more like 
two hours ago. Uh, but when you were arguing with your parents, were you really trying to get to the truth? Really? Is that the argument? Or were you trying to get your own way? Were you trying to get to the bottom line where you say, Mom, Dad, please, together, let us go and delve into the hidden truth of this matter. Dad, you're right. My goodness, I just did not see that. I apologize. You have just enlightened me and I am the richer for it. Yeah, no, that never happened, right? We don't argue with our parents that way. We argue to get our way. To, not to get to the truth. And so as a kid, you know that there was sometimes, even when you won the argument, sometimes you're walking away and you already know. You just knew. Have you ever been in an argument and then partway through the argument, you, you recognize that you are wrong? They are right? What do we do? We just keep on arguing, right? Because it's not about getting to the truth. It's about trying to win the argument, it's not about doing right or wrong, it's about win. I must win. And, and maybe I can win the argument and, and that will prove that I'm smarter than somebody or, or maybe I just have a killer one-liner that you've got no comeback from. Or maybe we can time it right so you have to go and I'll get the last word as you walk away and the conversation slash argument, when it's over, we know, we won the argument. We had more facts, we had more leverage we were better with words, but we know they were still right. And when we won't acknowledge what we suspect to be true, when we won't look over there for fear of what we might see, do you know what that means? It means that there's something else in the mix. There's something else going on, and it means that all of the arguments and, and, and all of the reasons and all of that um, stuff, even though it might be true, but I'm not listening. I'm not listening because there is more going on in this conversation than we have been willing to acknowledge. So that's the question today. What is that? We don't want to believe. Why is that? And maybe you're at the point where you could, you could just acknowledge and honestly say, well, you know what? Here it is, right out in the open. I just don't want to believe it. What is that? Why would we do that? What is it that causes us to be willing, to, to not be willing to acknowledge what we suspect to be true? What is it that says, I'm not looking over there because I'm afraid of what I might see? I think that all of us, even though today I've already said that the, peace, the people that I'm trying to speak to are the ones who have chosen to step back from faith. But I think all of us get into the same position. We need to know what the answer to that question is. Why won't we do that? Could it be that the real reason that you've stepped back from faith isn't perhaps the reason that you give? Perhaps it's not really your facts and your arguments that you bring up. Could it be one of these three things? Just could. Could it be? If there is God, I'm guilty. Could it be that in your past, in, in some cases the, the past is so big, it, it's so embarrassing, um, when, when you bring your past front and, and center, you're, you're actually ashamed. And, and you're embarrassed and you try, to, you try to keep those things locked away and you, you, you use that culturally acceptable label that we all say it gets you a past. It's like a magic word. When we deal with my past, we say, well, I was young. I was younger, I, I, 
I made some mistakes. But if I crack the door on those thoughts, maybe I already know that it's more than just mistakes. Maybe they're not just random mistakes. Maybe it's like that other word that I don't like, that we've all sort of agreed as society that we don't say anymore. Maybe it's sin. And think about this. Your biggest mistakes, you were not alone. Your biggest mistakes, you hurt other people. And your biggest mistakes, you owe somebody's some, some things. You owe some things that you can't pay back. You cannot give her back those first years, and you cannot give your kids back that time when you were too busy doing whatever it is you were too busy doing. There are some things that you just can't reconcile. You cannot make them right. And of course, we've been practicing. We, we say it together. We agree together. We listen to it. We know that the, the line is that you're supposed to say, I just made some mistakes. But you know, as well as I do, that the residual, the, uh, the aftermath, the shrapnel, the wake of those decisions, it follows you around. It's like it hovers there, always just waiting to pop back up, to pop into the top of your mind. And if, if I crack the door open to say, maybe, maybe there's a God, well then, I've almost convinced myself that those are just some mistakes. It's just, it's just mistakes. I just made a mistake and suddenly it gets bigger and, and, and I'm going to feel something if that comes up and I'm going to have to respond to the way that I feel and honestly, I just, I don't want to feel that. I don't want all of that to come back. And here's what I know. I've been a pastor for more than 20 years now and I've talked to so many people and when they finally lift the lid on all of that stuff, it scared them to death. Their own life was scary to them. And when they finally admitted, the reason that I refuse to look, the reason that I won't go over there, the reason I refuse to believe is that I believe that once I just reduced those things down to a few mistakes in my past, but if I look, it's going to come back. It would all come back in detail. And it would be so big and so much that it terrifies me. If it's my past, then that's where I want to leave it. I want to leave it behind me. I want to just go forward without it. I want it behind. But honestly, I can't. I can't seem to shake it. And once those people, they take the lid off and they acknowledge it, they acknowledge what it is, well, then they make progress. Their, their lives are lightened. Maybe. Maybe that's your story. But you know what? Maybe that's not you also. Maybe this is you. If there is God, then I'm accountable. And I think it's safe to say that there is no one who wants to be accountable. And we all want there to be a God. We just want that God to be us. Whether you believe in the story of garden, the Garden of Eden as history or as a story, as a myth. And if it is a myth, it's a really good myth. It explains a lot. But the story of the Garden of Eden... Ah, it's the beginning. It's the initial phase. It's the very first time that we deal with humankind deciding, God, I do not need you. But forget about the Garden of Eden for a second. Forget about the book of Genesis. In all of our lives, this plays out with the illusion of autonomy. Somehow I will be my own person. I can do what I want to do. I can make my own choices because you are not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me, which always, 
always, always leads to regret. Because unaccountable people make regretful decisions. I'll do it my way. I can handle it. I can do it. I can manage the outcomes. Unaccountable people make, always make, regretful decisions. And we see this in our world all the time. You see it on the news. You hear it in the people around you. We watch it on the news when it happens in other countries. We see what was happening there. We see it in our own country. No accountability removes part of the thinking process, part of the evaluation process of whether or not I should or shouldn't. Life is never consequence-free, and yet we try to live like it can be. And we also know this is, is, is an area of personal blindness because even as I say this, your minds are filling with the names of other people, someone who you think has done this. And we're not considering ourselves in that category because I would never do that. Now imagine this, you take two autonomous people and you put them in a marriage and now we've got two autonomous people making eventually regretful decisions and that leads directly always to conflict. And now the next conflict comes when you start to admit God. And if that happens, then you're going to have to submit to God. Because if you know there is a God who is going to hold you accountable, then suddenly you are accountable. And you don't want to submit. You don't want telling somebody telling you what you can't do. Nobody wants to submit. We can all feel that one, right? You don't have to raise your hand for that one. So where did that come from? How can we have that tension inside of us? Why do we, redu why do we resist the things that are good for us? What is it in you? What is it in me that we resist the things that are good for us? And I understand this. To admit God means that you are going to have to submit to God. And so we live lousy, uh, loud, busy lives until life comes up and we have no choice. Maybe that's you, maybe that's not. Here's the third one. If there's a God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. What is pride? What is it inside of you and inside of me? I don't know all of you as well as I would like, but here's what I do know about you, and you can assume this about me also. What is in us that won't admit what we know is true? We know in our minds that we are wrong. We know in our hearts we are wrong. We've got plenty of background history in being wrong. We are good at being wrong. But when it comes down to looking at somebody else eye to eye and saying, I was wrong, what makes that so difficult? Why do we choose to not do it and, and excuse ourselves? And this hits everybody. We need to have an answer to that question. What's going on in you that can't say that? And you don't need to get an answer for me. You don't need to have an answer for your spouse or for anyone else. Just answer for you. The problem with acknowledging God is that especially if you have been away for a while, you have to say, I was wrong. And I think you know this too. I think that you know that humility is always the way forward because it helps, it heals, it calms, it brings the best out of me and it allows the best to rise in you so why? Why? 
Why does it challenge us so much? Why do we resist so strenuously? Humility always makes you bigger. Humility always makes you wiser. Humility always makes you smarter because humility opens you up to receiving new information. I've been wrong is a much more direct path to discovering what is right. But we resist it. But could it be that if there is God, I'm guilty, I'm accountable, I'm wrong? Because of that, I keep using my arguments to keep God at a distance, hidden somewhere over there. And if I, if, I, if I don't look at him and I keep saying that he's not there, maybe he'll just leave me alone. And this list of, of experiences of, of guilty, accountable, or wrong, they're not arguments for or against anything. They are just responses. The resistance that you put out, the resistance to acknowledging God, pretending that you don't see anything there, is not an argument. It's just a response. It explains why you have developed your arsenal of arguments. Because you are wise enough to know that simply saying, I don't want to feel guilty, I don't want to be accountable, I don't want to feel wrong, is not an argument for anything. So consequently, we then have to come up with other arguments. And now we know what is best for us to be honest, especially to be honest with ourselves. So, isn't it true that your argument against God came after your decision to not want God? And isn't it true that your intellectual argument or your issue with the Bible or, or, or with God or with whatever it was, isn't it true that that came second? After an initial season, a, a period or, or an event where you decided, I don't want God, but not wanting God is not an argument, I need to have something to have conversation with, that's just a response. So because we're on a journey, this brings us to the next part of our journey. This brings us to the good news part of our journey. When we acknowledge that the issue um, is our resistance, not God's existence, if you will just take that baby step, you have stepped into the middle of an epic narrative, an epic narrative of God pursuing a relationship with a rebel race that broke relationship with God. And once you can admit that you don't want God, you can join the rest of the surge of humanity that has been struggling with submission to God since the very beginning of time. You are now exactly where you need to be because if Jesus was correct, and there is all kinds of evidence that says that Jesus was correct, if Jesus was correct about God, if there's God, there's forgiveness. So your rebellion, your mistakes, your sin, your, your, your whatever you want to call it, they become the platform for God to demonstrate his love for you. You're not going to believe this, but the Apostle Paul, he said it perfectly, and he said it with a phrase that I think we quite often just zoom right on by. There's actually a phrase that, that's in there that we kind of zoom over to get to the end. We miss it. He said, but God, the big but, another big but, but God demonstrates. He doesn't just talk about it. He doesn't just imply it. But God demonstrates his own love 
for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the new atheists, they make a really big deal about this. Well, why doesn't God just forgive everybody, right? Why the blood? Why the gore? Why do we have to have sacrifices? Why does somebody have to die? Why doesn't God just say, okay, uh, you're all forgiven? And here's the answer. Because God wanted to enter into a relationship with humanity. And you cannot have a relationship with someone that you do not sacrifice for. If you won't sacrifice for me, I don't know that you love me. This is right at the center of the gospel. This is what, like the, the focusing point. It comes down to this God demonstrated his love for you. He came to earth to enter into a relationship with humanity. And every human relationship demands sacrifice. Every offense requires forgiveness. Every offense requires a coming back together and restitution. And through Christ, God demonstrated both his forgiveness and his restitution. Do you really want to live your life, the rest of your life, outside of that? Especially if there has been something stirring in your heart. I think that might be true. If there's God, there's relationship. And to resist accountability to God is to resist relationship with God. Parents know this, right? When their kids rebel, what's broken? The relationship. And you feel it, right? If there's God, there's truth. That's the basis of moral law. We talked about this in the previous week, last, uh, last episode. That's a, that's a basis for justice. If there's God, then there's an explanation for the ought. There's an explanation for the ought that doesn't always govern my actions, but it always governs your reactions. You ought not to have treated me that way. I may have treated you, yeah, sure, but hey, well, whatever, but you don't treat me that way. What is that? What is the big grand ought of how other people should treat you and how you ought to treat them. But you don't even um, do what you think is the right thing to do. But you're quick to be angry when they don't do what they ought to do. What is that? That's God. There's morality. There's a basis for justice. If God, there's forgiveness, there's relationship, there's truth. So if the question was, who wants God? At some point, none of us want God. But if the question is, who needs God? As it turns out, that's all of us. Now, now, you, now you may not have known this, that Jesus had um, brothers and sisters. And he had a famous brother whose name is James. Um, and it would be natural to think that if Jesus was in your family, that you would proceed under the uh, thought that he is mentally unstable. And Jesus' family thought he was in the most accurate way that you can possibly think of it. They thought he was crazy. They thought he had lost his mind. And after the resurrection, oh, they changed their minds. Because that's what you do after a resurrection. You look at things differently because that never happened before. And he said, oh, I was 
wrong. So James, Jesus' brother, changes his mind. He acknowledges he was wrong. James, the brother of Jesus, submitted to his brother as his Lord and Master. And James received forgiveness. And he was vocal, though, and public in his non-following of Jesus. He asked for forgiveness for not following. And in the year 62, the high priest Ananias did an an illegal thing. He called the Sanhedrin, the governing body, he called a meeting illegally. And he tried James, the brother of Jesus, for blasphemy. So James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned to death for his faith in his brother. And before he died, he wrote a letter that was powerful, a valuable letter that has been very important to the early church the first century church and the church ongoing. And they made copies, careful copies, and they passed them around. And that letter, that historical ancient manuscript is stored for us in our New Testament. And it's called, wait for it, James. Yeah? And in this letter, he says something that I think kind of just land the plane for us on our deconverting series. Come near to God and he will come near to you. But then realizing how difficult it is to admit that you're wrong, remembering and realizing that he had to admit that he was wrong and how hard that was for him. He remembers all the years of Jesus' ministry. He remembers all the stories of Jesus and his miracles and Jesus is doing this. And he remembers what his responses, both private and public, were saying, you know what, that never happened. Or, I don't believe that. Come on, that's outrageous. As if that kind of stuff ever happens. This is not an easy thing to draw near to God because I am naturally drawn away from God. We need to address the things that held you back. This is the way that addresses all of that. And this is the language that he uses, okay? So it might not be the way that you would say it, but it's culturally appropriate for them. He said, wash your hands, you sinners. You know what that means? It's just figurative language for us to say, admit it. Acknowledge it. It wasn't just a mistake. You chose to do it. You did it on purpose. And you knew that there would be consequences. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What he's basically saying is quit playing games. Right? Stop going back and forth. Acknowledge what you know is true. Be honest with yourself. Look over there, even though you're afraid. Be honest with yourself. Don't hide behind facts, because facts are facts. But there is no reason to hide from God because of facts about His world. Then the toughest one of all, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. This is how you draw near. This is how you draw near to anyone. Humble yourself before the Lord. And then he tells us that no matter how far you've gone and and how long you've been away, how long you've said no to God, that your heavenly Father will respond. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Kind Father, I thank you for the way that you have engaged with us. Please don't stop. 
it is difficult to be honest with ourselves. We like to stop the thought before it goes that far. Put me back on something happy again. I just, I just want to be happy. I just, I just don't want to think about hard things. I, I want it to just be a mistake. I, I want to minimize it. I want to walk away from it as much as I can. And yet, I need forgiveness. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep working in our hearts, that we would be able to allow our eyes to rest on you, to answer our questions honestly. And if we need help getting some information, then help us to take that next step. Help us to look for what our next step should be, because Honestly, God, sometimes it feels like we don't know where to go. We don't know what the next thing should be. And so speak into us. Provide that peace to move forward in this area or that, that urging that says we can't resist or ignore any longer. Thank you for being knowable. Thank you for wanting to know me even when I'm embarrassed to have you look at me. Thank you for a love that came first that says I will do whatever is necessary to have a relationship with you. Thanks for seeing me as valuable no matter what I've thought or believed, no matter how I've spoken against you, denied you, walked away from you, no matter what I have done with my lifestyle that says I don't care what you have to say, no matter what I have done when I humble myself, I can come back and you will lift me up from that broken place, that alone I've got nothing, I'm going nowhere kind of place. You will lift me back up. And so for my friends that are here today, God, I pray your blessing upon them as they are in the midst of this journey, regardless of where they are on that journey. Our relationship to you is set to grow. Don't leave them alone. Call them forward, I pray. Provide for all the things that they need. Let them know that you are God. And the God that you are is love. Welcoming us home. Thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.